It's my privilege today to introduce to you our guest speaker, Aaron Boswell. Obviously, with the last name, it doesn't take long to connect the dots. And some of you are new to our church since he's been here last, and some of you are not. But uh, obviously, he is the son of the most infamous mother here today, for him anyway, is his mother, Patty. And so he's here for Mother's Day. Just the providence God, he worked this out. Aaron has had an interesting journey to uh, be here today. He uh, did his undergrad at, at um, Southeastern Seminary. He is now enrolled in Southern Seminary. He has uh, helped plant a church in Paris with the International Mission Board. He has planted a church in Winnipeg, Canada. He has planted a church in uh, Montreal. And now he is in Vancouver on his third church plant in Canada. And so more importantly than that, he is the father to two wonderful grandsons, the best-looking grandsons here today, Brother Gail. Yes, we have a debate about that, but, uh, and uh, it, just by the providence of God, I don't know if you know or not, but our church sends 1% of our total receipts to, to help uh, Aaron in planting that church in Vancouver. 95% of Vancouver is unchurched, unreached with the gospel, and that's four, almost five million people if you can believe it or not, it is pre-Christian. And so he is in a part of Vancouver that is desperately in need of the gospel. And it's our joy as a church to help host him there and to support him financially and through our prayers. And so Aaron, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here today. And thank you for being here on Mother's Day. Your mom rarely ever gets to have any of her children here on Mother's Day. So thank you for coming and we'll pray for you and we'll listen to God as he speaks to you today. Thank you for being here. Well, good morning. I thought you were going to pray right there. You didn't. That's all right. Uh, good morning. Caught me off guard. I was like, all right, let's pray. Oh, no, we're not. All right, here we are. Uh, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's, it's always a funny thing. You know, sometimes when you're getting on a plane and they say, have a great trip, and you say, you too. I know within your soul, some of you, when I just said, happy Mother's Day, you wanted to say, you too. I'm not a mother. But uh, I'm married to a beautiful one, so praise God. Uh, so I'm excited to be here with you uh, on this special day, especially because I get to be with my mom. So happy Mother's Day, Mom. I was calculating the other day. I haven't spent Mother's Day with her since uh, before we moved to Canada. So this is our first time uh, in, in six years, six years as of yesterday that, that, uh, that I've been there. So happy Mother's Day to you and happy Mother's Day to my lovely bride, Samantha, one of the greatest joys Oh, in life, when you become a dad, you cry. Uh, and one of the greatest joys of my life uh, has been to watch you continue to flourish as a mom and uh, as a bride. And I'm thankful to have you as my best friend and partner in life and in ministry. And you are a joy. Oh, man. Uh, this is going to be a hard beginning of the sermon to get through. All right, here we go. That's why I wrote it down. Um, and, and maybe it's because uh, at the beginning of, the, of our sermon that I've been spending a lot of time with my dad with this week, but as I was preparing for today's sermon, I thought the best thing to do would be to start with a story. Growing up, I felt like all of my dad's sermons started with a story, all of them. And so I was, I was perusing stories this week, and, and I found one. I don't know if it's true or fictional, um, but I will tell you, if you thought I was weepy a moment ago, I have, I have read through this story six times this week, and every time I cannot make it through. I try, and I try, and I try, and I can't. I wasn't a crier before I became a dad, and then when you welcome this little baby into your life, everything gets messy. Right, dads? 
So all of a sudden you're, you're watching movies that you used to watch and you used to have no emotion and now you're crying. You see a Hallmark commercial and you just start weeping. You're like, I used to be the guy that made fun of guys like this and now here we are. So I blame fatherhood. So prepare yourself. It's a sappy, wonderful Mother's Day story. Here we go. Gazing out of the window, Bellatrix despised what she saw. Those smiling saps with all of their children. And at the center of all of this melee was a woman named Prudentia. She had a dopey grin and a doting husband on her arm and the swarm of children crowding her home that then had children of their own. Bellatrix looked smugly out of the window, uh, from the window to her own mirror. She had been the most sought after single in the village. Now approaching 70, she considered herself well-preserved. She had dodged the pain of childbirth and still thought highly of her figure. Having avoided the clutter of kids, her home was kempt and calm, quiet. And now a widow, the feast day found her untroubled and unharried by duties and noise. No one for whom she must play the slave. No one to clean up after. No one to trouble her calm. She was alone. And across the street from the house Bellatrix inhabited, the little cyclones had all gone to bed. The adults had flung themselves into chairs by the fire. There was a hush falling in the glowing dark at the end of the day. And they sat there, like most of you remember doing, with faint smiles and quiet exhaustion from the day. Long hours and short days. You know, dear, we could have avoided all this. And Prudentia smiled at the fastidious joy behind her husband's words. Neither wanted to avoid any part of love. When we found out that we were infertile, he said, I wondered for a time whether any of this would be ours. If you had avoided all this, their eldest son said, whom they had adopted first. None of it would have been mine either. Nor mine, nor mine. And I'm glad you didn't stop at three, added the youngest, throwing in a broad grin. And Prudentia looked at her husband and quoted the first line of Proverbs 17:6: Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And she paused. And as she did so, their daughter looked to their mother and adding the rest of the line said, and the glory of the children is their father's. And Prudentia's husband, warmed more by the words than by the fire, looked into the eyes of his wife and quoted snatches of Proverbs eleven seventeen and twelve four. A gracious woman gets honor and an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. And as if on cue, the children, not of her womb, but of her heart and life, joined their father in their mother's praise. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Proverbs 31, 28. So as we're starting today, I want us to recognize that there are many ways to be a mom. There is adoption. There is spiritual family. There are childbirth moms. And to all of you, I give a hearty happy Mother's Day. And now for our time together this morning, I've been thinking about what God would want us to 
to walk through what he want me to say from his word on this special day. And so I asked a lot of my friends who are all pastors, if you're going to preach on Mother's Day, what would you preach? I heard lots of things. And a new friend of mine said, well, Boz, why don't you preach the gospel for weary moms? Moms are weary. And I said, amen, they are. He said, why don't you use 2 Timothy 1? And so I read through 2 Timothy 1. I was thinking and processing and praying through the gospel of weary moms from there. And boom, here we are for this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open that with us. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there will be one on the screen. There will be uh, the, the scriptures somewhere. Boom, there. Um, and, and we'll read through that. And it's like magic. Uh, it's there. Or you can follow along on your, on your phone or your tablet. Um, and so that's where we'll be this morning. And, and as you'll find out, this, this morning is not just a word for the ladies. It's not just the gospel for weary moms, but it's the gospel, the good news of God for all of us and what God is calling all of us into. But specifically, we're going to talk to moms, but husbands, dads, men, doesn't mean you have to leave. So welcome to stay. So we're going to cover three things. Firstly, we're going to examine the gospel, which is the good news from God that he has saved us, not because of our works or because we were religious or moral, but by his undeserved and unearned kindness. Secondly, we'll read about a mother and a grandmother who are mentioned as positive examples of faithfulness. Women who taught this young man named Timothy to trust in the faithfulness of God. And we will see their faith as an example of God's grace in Timothy's life. And thirdly, we will be encouraged through this passage to fan into flame the gifts that God has given to us because God the Spirit, for those of you who are believers, God the Spirit indwells you, casts out fear, and empowers you to walk by faith and not by sight. So that's where we're going, all right? Good, you're awake. Praise God. So let's pray and then we'll dive into God's word. God, we pray that you would this morning give us eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts that are softened to your word. God, I know mornings like this, mornings in general, especially for moms, are chaotic. There's babies screaming, diapers needing changed, food, that, breakfast that's made and cleaned up, and wrangling kids in the cars, trying to wrangle them into children's ministry. Life is chaotic and beautiful. God, we pray during this time as we sit underneath your word that you would move mightily in our hearts. God, let us see how you love us as we just sang a moment ago, how deep your love is for us and that we see that love displayed in the person and work of Jesus, our God and our King. Pray all this in the name of Jesus and in his authority alone. Amen. All right, so let's read together 2 Timothy. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way to uh, verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. 
As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, he's in jail, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's pray and then uh, we'll we'll, uh, walk through um, this scripture and walk through um, our points. So Father, we, we pray as we have heard your word that you would use it in our lives to sharpen us and to correct us and rebuke us and to train us in all righteousness. Pray that you would um, lay bare our hearts today by your mercy and your grace to reveal how deep is our depravity, how deep is our need for you, and simultaneously how great is your pursuit of us and your love of us through Christ Jesus. God, we pray that that you, above all else, would be our focus and our aim, that today we would leave here thankful to Jesus for what he has done for us, to give us hope for our weary lives. And it's in Jesus we pray, amen. So as we're getting started this morning, I think it'd be beneficial for us uh, to take a moment and be reminded of who the God of the Bible is and how he has revealed himself. Specifically, we sang about it earlier today that the God that we worship is one God that we know is three persons. I love that we sang that song. Mark and I didn't even talk about that. And he started singing it and I was like, praise God. That's like my first point is who is this God whom we are gathered here into worship? So praise God. Because specifically what we saw in verse 2 is we see God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, we see God the Spirit. So, so if this is your first time around here, I want to explain what we mean about when we talk about God. As, as Christians, we believe that there is one God and that he has always existed as three persons. Maybe you've heard it explained before using the word trinity. Now that word is not in the Bible, but it's good. It's a great way for us to learn and to understand how God operates from looking at how he has revealed himself in and through his word. Because God, we see, 
There's one God, and we know him as three persons as he reveals himself, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Personally, this is a mystery. I know a lot of you taught on God the Spirit today in your life groups. Mystery. Mystery, right? God the Spirit is movements, actions. Who can know the things of the Lord? Deuteronomy 29, 29, the mysterious things belong to the Lord, right? Like mystery, who is God? We, we can see him by how he, how he operates and how he reveals himself. So, so what we see is in the economy of God that God the Father is the one who plans all things. God the Son, Jesus, is the one who accomplishes and creates all things that the Father has planned. And God the Spirit is the one who gives life to all that God the Son, Jesus, creates according to the plan of God the Father. Tracking? All right, that's complex stuff right there. Right, one of my, one of my buddies, uh, he was trying to explain the Trinity to his daughter, and she walked up to him and said, well, Daddy, this isn't hard to understand. And he's like, well, yeah, good luck on that one, honey. What do you mean it's not hard to understand? She's like, well, God's kind of like my Dora, my Dora shampoo. He's like, what in the world? She said, well, it's like the one of those all-in-ones, Daddy. It's shampoo, conditioner, and body wash all in one. And he was like, well, it took theologians to, like, like, like 300 years to try to understand that. And his five-year-old daughter said, well, I get this. Right, she's, she's the benefit of, of, of that many years of church history. But uh, granted, uh, right, so, so you understand, it's not a perfect example, but we understand who is this, who is this God? He's God who creates, sustains, and upholds all things. God the Father plans all things. God the Son, Jesus, accomplishes all things. God the Spirit empowers God the Son in accomplishing all things for the glory and praise of God the Father. And it's a mystery, but it's beautiful. And this is how God has revealed himself. And I say that to remind us, firstly, of what we believe about the character and the nature of God. Who is this God that we gather to worship together. Secondly, as we're walking through this text, and I would, I would encourage you to study this maybe later on in family worship together, maybe tonight or another point during this week, we read the scripture and you pray together and you sing together as a family, um, because there is a lot here that we will not get to cover today that is beautiful. So it reminds us what we believe about the character and the nature of God. And secondly, it's a really good starting point for us because we're going to pick up in verse 9 and 10. Firstly, it's where we're going to camp out and we're going to see what is the gospel. What is this good news? Um, we see the word gospel for the first time in verse 8. And then it continues into um, verse 9. And we, verse 9, as you'll notice in your Bibles, it starts with the word what? Who? So if you don't know who is being talked about there, is this God the Father? Is this God the Son? Is this God the Spirit? You read in context and you find out this is God the Father. It's important to know. So we read that he uh, has saved us and that he's called us to a holy calling. So I want us to know who has done this, who has accomplished this, and by what power and spirit he has done this. Does that make sense? Praise God. Uh, and so specifically, what does God the Father do in verse 9? We read, firstly, he is the one who saved us. Secondly, and that he's the one who called us to a holy calling. And you'll notice he does both of these things as we read, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which God gave us in Christ Jesus when? The moment you believed. That's not what Paul says. Before the ages began. This is how God loves us, cares about us, calls us. 
Praise be to his name. So let's back up. We're going to start with he saved us, then we're going to move forward. All right? So back up. So he saved us. Now this is important. Who saves us? He saves us. God the Father saves us. And the imagery here is a beautiful imagery. Uh, It's kind of the, the word picture of like Daniel in the lion's den. Right? Thrown in, unable to save himself. And yet, don't worry. Why? God will save him and preserve him. This is the imagery here. He has saved us. We needed to be saved by God and he saved us. But saved from what? Daniel was saved from lions. All right, that makes sense. What are we saved from? And that's a great question. I had, I had a girl approach me once after a gathering like this and, and she, she said, hey, listen, I've heard all these people, they keep talking to one another about, about how they had gotten saved. And people ask her, have you been saved? And she's like, I mean, I was swimming once and I was drowning and I got saved. Is that, is that what you mean? And they're like, no. Uh, and so she came out of me and she said, what does this mean? How, how am I saved? What am I saved from? What, is, what does this mean? And I was like, that is a great question. So what are we saved from? And I explain that they're talking about being saved from facing the just and right judgment of God that they rightfully deserve because of their rebellion against God, their idolatry, their worship of created things instead of the creator God. I continue to explain the Bible presents the stark reality that we are not born into this world by our mothers as neutral innocent babies. Now, I mean, there's, there's a way in which ba- my, my four-month-old is innocent, right? He's not rebelled against God in any capacity at this point, other than he screams sometimes when I don't want him to, and I feel like that's rebellion, right? Any weary moms? Amen. All uh, right, sometimes you're like, come on, kid, just go to sleep. Um, But he has not done anything to offend God and his kingdom. So there's a way in which we are innocent. But in another sense, through God's word, we see inwardly and in our relationship with God that we are all born guilty, not neutral. There's this idea out there that we're all just kind of neutral, floating around. We, don't, we maybe not worship Jesus as God. We may, we may not worship um, Allah. We don't think that, that uh, Muhammad is his prophet. We don't worship Krishna. We're not Hindu. We're not New Age. We're not, you're not yoga, meditation, uh, worshipers. So, so maybe we're just all kind of neutral is this idea that we have. But instead, we read the Bible and we get a very, very different picture. In fact, if you want to flip over um, a few pages to your left, you'll get to the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, explains that from birth, that you and I are born dead in our trespasses and sins. Born that way. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, deserving nothing from God but wrath, which is eternal judgment, right? true judgment that we by nature have to pay for all of eternity just like the rest of mankind you see it's a bleak picture when we come to the bible so 
Sometimes you may, moms, you may wake up on a morning and kids are screaming, you didn't sleep very well. And you're like, man, I just need some encouragement today. And you open your Bible and you read a text like that. And you're like, well, that's not very encouraging. And yet that's the most encouraging thing for your soul to hear. That by nature you're born hating God. But verse 4, God being rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, loves you anyway. So you have this idea that love is sort of like, you know, there's a couple and they start dating and then they go, the guy goes to propose and they're maybe by a lakeside and he looks at her and he's nervous, he's sweating. He's looking at her and he's like, uh, I think you are uh, the fairest woman in the world. I, if you, you, are the, you are the most beautiful woman I, I have ever laid my eyes on. I want to spend my life with you. You are kind and you are generous and you are loving. Will you marry me? He may say other things, but the whole gist of it is you are, you are fair and you are lovely and I, will you marry me? And we come to the Bible and it's the opposite, right? We come to the Bible and God looks at us and says, I come to you and you are unlovely. And it would be as if that situation and the, the guy looking at the girl says, well, you're not very pretty. And uh, your, your body, I don't find it attractive. Uh, your intellect, you're not that bright. Um, and I don't think anybody would maybe call you beautiful. So you want to get married? Right, women, if a, if a guy proposes you like that, ladies, what do you say? No, you run away from that guy. That guy ain't worthy. That's free. That's free for y'all. Um, free. Uh, right? Run away from that guy. And yet, what do we see God doing in Scripture? That. See, God comes to us and doesn't say, oh, you're fair and you're lovely and I want you and I love you and I need you. And you're, you, you're like this moment, you complete me. No. He comes to us and says, you are unlovely. You're broken. You're messy. You, you, you're, you, you don't deserve my love but I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna pursue you. I'm gonna save you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I will clothe you. I'll forgive you. I'll redeem you and restore you. Come to me. So we come. See, but it's a bleak picture when we read the Bible at first. At first, right? It's sobering because none of us deserves anything from God except judgment and eternal punishment. We, we need to be saved from facing the just judgment of God. We're born broken people. We were born rebels who naturally rebel, right? So sometimes we have this, this phrase in our society, oh, they just got caught up in the wrong crowd, made some bad mistakes. God says, well, the problem is not that you got caught up in the wrong crowd, you are the wrong crowd. And so you ran and found people who will approve of whatever you do and not challenge you or question it. That's the problem is inside of your heart. See, apart from the grace of God the Father saving us, we're lost and we have no hope. Something that every mother can attest to because they don't teach their kids to sin, right? <laughs> Man, I don't teach my sons to be... Um, angry when I take things away. I don't teach them to have fits of rage where they fall limp on the floor, screaming their heads off, demanding their own way. I don't teach them that. I know that becomes a shock to you, 
right? I don't, I don't teach my kids. It's born naturally, innately there. It's built in. We're, we're born broken, needing to be saved. As we mentioned, the God of the Bible doesn't leave us in our brokenness, wallowing in it, nor does the God of the Bible tell us to pick up ourselves by our bootstraps and fix the situation. He doesn't tell us to go get Botox and to lose a few pounds and to get better educated, and then maybe one day we can come to him. This is not the God of the Bible. We don't come to him bringing our sacrifices, our religious behavior, our morals, our money, our worth, our value, and then maybe he'll be kind to us if the good outweighs the bad. No, that's not the God of the Bible. Because we mentioned, we continue reading in Ephesians, and we see that God is rich in mercy, and he looks upon us in our helpless estate, and God the Spirit gives us the gift of faith to believe that Jesus, the eternal God the Son, has put on flesh, adding humanity alongside of his divinity, and stepped into time to reveal the heart and the love of God. See, the Spirit gives us faith to believe these things are true, that in Jesus, God has in fact moved into the neighborhood and taught us what he is like, how he loves, how he provides, how he forgives. And in the death of Jesus, we see the love of God and the justice of God on beautiful display, beautiful display. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. In our place, condemned he stood. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become righteousness of God. Jesus took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. He, being God, was able to take away an eternity of judgment. He, being fully man, could rightly stand in our place as our substitute. So friends who are here, if you're here investigating Jesus, if you're here because your mama was like, hey, I want you to come to church today, and you're like, dang it, all right. Or if you're here actually investigating Jesus and trying to find out, man, who he is, I want you to know the God of the Bible is not a God who tells you to measure up or get out. He's not a God who says, fix up your act and then you can come to me. He's a God who looks at you and says, hey, you're broken. I'll fix you if you come to me. I'll forgive you if you'll come. I'll pardon you. This is, this is unlike any news that you've ever heard. This is, this is astounding and beautiful. That he would look at us who deserve nothing but judgment and say, come and I'll forgive you. Not because of your works, but because of mine. Not because you have great faith, but because I will give you faith. Not because you are a stud, but because Jesus was a stud in your place. Here's the beautiful thing too, Christian. And, and this, is, this is a beautiful reminder for me. And something I have to remind myself of often is that there is not five to 10 years from now some better version of yourself that God loves more than you right now. Let that sink in for a moment. There's not some version of you five to 10 years from now when you kick that habit and quit doing this and start doing that and maybe go to church more. Maybe when you start tithing, maybe you start being a life group, maybe then... God will be happy with you, more happy with you. God sees you perfectly through the righteousness of Jesus. His love for you does not grow as if God the Father's love for God the Son could grow. What a a silly concept. 
right? So if you're here investigating Jesus, this is what I want you to know. If you come and believe on him, he will forgive you and he wants to forgive you even right now. Like a moment ago, we talked about Daniel and the lion's den. Well, you have an enemy that's a prowling lion who's wanting to destroy you. But God, rich in mercy and abounding in love, has you here so that you'll hear the good news of Jesus. He's tasted death in your place and satisfied your bankrupt account if you will come. So Paul rightly says he saved us. Saved us was our longest point. All right, I know I'm a Boswell, but I'm not that much of a Boswell. All right, so he saved us. And then he secondly does what in verse 9? called us to a holy calling. Notice, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Get this, before the ages began. I don't know if you write in your Bible. You should. You should meditate on those words, draw boxes, circle things. Meditate on these words. Before the ages began. And the comfort that will fill your soul is astounding. God's kindness extended towards you in Christ is astounding. See, moms that are loved by Jesus and who love him passionately in thankfulness to his kind love, let that sink in on days that are hard and long when you are weary. That before the ages began, before the foundations of the world were laid, before you ever took a breath, the creator God of the universe set his love upon you. Man, praise his glorious grace. It's no wonder all the way through Paul's letter, he just like stops and he says, praise your name. That is good news. See, he has set his love on you and moms that you are cherished. There are a million things that you do that, that no one ever sees except for God. It's easy to feel overlooked. But God has not overlooked you. Get that from before the foundations of the world. He has set his love upon you. And he cherishes you. And let that change the way that you feel as you're changing that next diaper, the 18th one of the day. As you're washing that dish for the millionth time. As you're serving your family. As you're off to work for the millionth time having to leave your baby with people, as you're doing whatever life has for you, let that sink in for you. And when we see that in Ephesians 1, I turn here because my mother's favorite word is in Ephesians 1, and it's Mother's Day, and it's good. Uh, and this kind of truth will sink in and change your life. So we see in Ephesians 1 that God is rightly to be blessed and praised because he has done what? In Ephesians chapter 1, he has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we should be homely, uh, holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. There it is. She lavished upon us. That's my mom's favorite word. That God lavishes these things upon us. 
more and more and more. My mom thinks of a cake that's just lavished with icing. When I think of that, just, just overflowing. This is God's love for you. It's overflowing. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And moms, have you ever stopped and pondered this? Have you ever stopped and pondered this, that this is the kind of love that God the Father has for you? And we see that specifically through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That he created you specifically to love you as his daughter, to cherish you, to lavish you with every spiritual blessing. Jesus has come to live the life you should have lived and to die the death you deserve to die, that you might become the righteousness of God. And the Spirit has come to dwell within you and to empower you to live for his kingdom and not your own, to be an example of the life of the glorious kingdom of God for your family and your neighborhood and your church. See, the more and more that I thought about it and studied this topic this week, the more I began to value and cherish motherhood even more, if possible, than I ever have before. As I've seen over and over again in reading God's word, God's grand design in motherhood for saving the world. Have you ever thought of that? Jim Hamilton, he, he says it this way. Motherhood is a mercy. And from the fact that the Messiah was born of a woman, we see that motherhood is an honor. Have you ever thought of your motherhood as an honor? Or are you missing out and believing the lie that it's only a burden? Hamilton continues, only Mary gave birth to the Messiah himself, but every mother who bears a child experiences what she experienced. Every mother who bears a child partakes of the pangs of childbirth and reminds us of the tribulations that will issue in the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. We can also observe that motherhood is one of the ways God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Like, get this, every genealogy in the Bible, right? On days when you read genealogies in your Bible, you just kind of like, you open your Bible and you're like, whew, genealogy, this will be an easy day. Don't skip through them. See them as God's grace on display and think of every mother that is represented in that lineage. Every mother that waited expectantly 40 weeks for her baby, provided for them, took care of them, grew them into manhood, taught them to love the Lord and the things of God, and praise God for them. See, every genealogy is fulfilled with God's plan of redeeming the world into himself. We also see from the beginning, Genesis 3, how will mankind be saved? Through the seed of the woman, crushing the head of the serpent. At the end, in Revelation, we see a woman giving birth to a son and the dragon trying to kill it. From the beginning to the end, motherhood in God's word as a means by which God will redeem and save mankind. You women are given a gift of great honor, like, like missional motherhood. You're like on a mission to redeem the world, childbearing, loving your husbands, serving your church, spiritual daughters, with your advancing in the kingdom step by step. And motherhood is not the aim of the Bible. Don't get me wrong. Even my two-year-old can tell you that every story in the Bible is all about Jesus. We look at the Bible and we're like, what's this all about, buddy? He goes, Jesus. 
Yes, dude. It's all about Jesus, man. He, I, I, I think he understands. If not, we're laying a foundation. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, so the Bible is not about motherhood. But motherhood makes the Bible story possible as the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And that's good. So moms, know this morning that you are loved and you're pursued and you're saved by God. Your calling is an honor as you wage warfare on the kingdom of Satan through your motherhood. And in 2 Timothy, I believe you're called primarily to live out your faith. And this is how we will spend the next few minutes. To live out your faith in two ways. Really, it's for all of us. But moms, it's your day. So we'll say it's for you. But men and those who aren't mothers, no, it's, it's for all of us. You're called primarily to live out your faith in two ways. By setting a godly example and by fanning your gifts into flame. So let's look at the first one, to be a godly example. One of the most beautiful things we notice from Timothy's life right here in the the opening verses is where um, he received his good foundations of scriptures and in seeing his faith lived out in practical ways. And for Timothy, it wasn't from his dad. I don't know if you remember that. In the book of Acts, his dad is a Gentile, does not serve the Lord. His mother and his grandmother do. So we see in verse five, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, talking to Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And not on the screen, but in 2 Timothy 3.15, we read that from childhood, Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings, which were able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Needless to say, he grew up in a home where he heard the word of God and he saw his, the faith of his grandmother and his mother living out these convictions in everyday contexts. Now, not perfectly, mind you, but setting the groundwork and the kindling of God's word for God the Spirit to come and set ablaze Timothy's heart, setting a solid foundation for all of Timothy's life and ministry. And it all harkens back to his grandmother and his mother faithfully loving Jesus, teaching him scriptures, setting as a foundation, this kindling that the spirit would set ablaze. And as for me, every, every time that I read about Lois and Eunice, I can't think about the faithful women in my own family and how they have striven to honor the Lord by meditating on his word and allowing their faith to be evident in their lives as a primary means by which God set kindling in my heart as a young kid. Now, I I cannot tell you how many times I remember waking up in the morning, going to get ready, going to have breakfast before school, and on my way to the kitchen, grab some Cinnamon Toast Crunch or whatever we had that morning. Uh, as I'm on my way there, turning and seeing my mother sitting in her chair, reading her Bible, drinking her coffee, praying. Every day. Every day. Now, now she might have missed one. I don't know. But it seemed like it's always where she's at. Even this week. Even this week. I'm here with my wife and my kids. We're here hanging out. Wake up in the morning, beeline to the kitchen now to get coffee. Um, my wife's a health coach, so no longer to cinnamon uh, toast crunch, make it into my home. But uh, I'm on my way to get coffee. And where's my mom? Seated in her chair, reading a Bible, praying, meditating on God's word. And I cannot begin to tell you the kind of impact that has had on my life. 
to see physically my mother loving God's word, praying for people that do not know Jesus and people that do, and, and, and relishing in God's word. What that does of setting a kindling for that. And then her, her life that is met by that. And, and my mom's not perfect. I found that out when I was 22. No lie, no lie. I, I remember the moment. I remember the moment. My dad and I were having a conversation. I was about to get married. And uh, we were talking and he's like, Man, you know, like, your mother's a sinner. I was like, say what? <laughs> he's like, your mother, you know, like, like, in, like, he's trying to, like, pastor me as a dad and be like, hey, man, like, in marriage, man, you're going to walk through things and you need to know how to, how to love your wife and direct her to God's word and how to grow together as a family. You need to know these things. Share some things. I was like, my Mom's a sinner? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I mean, I know, I, I know, that, may, I know that makes sense. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, though. And I asked her, are you a sinner? Yes. Took her word at it. I don't know. She's never sinned against me. If she has, I don't remember. Praise God. All right, so... And this, this is the kind of, of legacy I want you women to have. Not necessarily where your kids don't know you're a sinner until you're 22. Um, but, but the kind of, kind of legacy where, where your kids see you. Do, do your kids see you reading your Bible? Do they see you praying? Do they see you loving the things of God? Do they? Because I pray that my legacy is the legacy that your children will have. That they fondly remember you as their mom loving God's word and living out God's truth in their lives. And that's the desire in our home as well. We are people of the book. And from reading the Bible, we know that grace doesn't run through bloodlines. Instead, what runs through bloodlines? Corruption, sin, depravity. Those things run through bloodlines. Grace does not run through bloodlines. We see this easily in, in, uh, all, over the, all over the Bible, but, but even in the book of Genesis, Cain and Abel, they have the same dad. One loves the things of the Lord. The other hates the things of the Lord and murders his brother only because his brother loves the Lord. Isaac and Ishmael have the same daddy. Jacob and Esau have the same daddy. See, grace doesn't run through bloodlines. Instead, depravity does. And we know that our job as parents is to give our kids God's word and to live our lives in such a way that our faith is on display for them to see. And, and our prayer is that one day God the Spirit would come and set ablaze the kindling that we have set in their hearts and lives and that God would convict them of their sin and convince them of the truths of the gospel and they would turn from worshiping the prince of the power of the air and said, worship him as their God and king. So can I ask you, how are you at this? Are you someone who's known by your love for God's word? Does your family see that in your heart and life? Maybe you, you read God's word, but maybe not in front of your kids. Start. It's good to see your kids loving. Uh, it's good for your kids to see you loving God's word. It's, it's really important. What kind of kindling are you laying down? 
So first we see the, the faith living out in the godly example. And secondly, we see our faith lived out in how we fan into flame the gifts that God has given us. Then personally, I think that verses six and seven are the main point of the entire letter to Timothy. So if you're a note taker, again, I'd make a little note in your Bible, maybe block that off uh, for future reference so that you can test my theory to see if you also think that verse six and seven is the main point of the entire letter. And, and I say I think it's the main point of the letter because Paul is currently in prison. Things don't look good. It looks as if he is encouraging Timothy, hey, buddy, Keep it up, continue to fan into flame that gift that God has, has given you. And I believe the rest of the book is an encouragement in that, it, to embolden him in that. So let's look at verse six. Timothy is reminded to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in him through the laying on of Paul's hands, to continually provoke it or stoke it like a fire is his call. And I was talking with the men yesterday morning, and we talked about this from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, where imagery is, is utilized again, which encourages Christians to provoke or stir one another up to love and to good works. And that's why we gather together as the people of God on the mission of God for the glory of God, guided by the word of God for the praise of Jesus and the God the Father alone, right? Is, is we're to stir one another up to love and to good works to provoke one another. It's like a, a fire is going out. You throw some gas on it and boom, there it is. That's the idea is that we together as a local body, we are encouraging one another in our giftings. Stir one another up, gospeling one another. And I think that's the same thing that Timothy is called to do here, to fan into flame, to stoke and to maintain the gift that was given him by God. And many commentators and pastors, I think, rightly explain that it is specifically speaking about Timothy's call into pastoral ministry. And they point back to 1 Timothy 4.14, which says, Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. From this, it can be a clear call to pastors and teachers of God's word to continue to fan and to flame their gift. For we know that most of the time, the gifts that God gives are exercised and worked out in local church contexts, and individuals become better at these gifts as they are fanned into flame. For example, preachers, I don't know if any of you have had the immense privilege of ever being around somebody the very first time they ever come to preach. I say pleasure, maybe. Very first time ever, someone's like, hey, will you preach? And like, uh, sure. I know people in my own family who will tell stories uh, of they worked for hours and hours and hours and had like, like pages of things. And they get up there and they're fumbling and, and what they thought would take maybe 30 minutes takes like five, right? If, if any of you have ever taught a life group or an Awana's class, you know what that's like your first time. And you're like, oh, this is horrible. I'm scared. I don't know what I'm doing. And yet as you fan that, that, that gift into flame, what happens? More and more comfortable with it. The spirit grows you in that, matures you in that, continues you in that. And likewise, this scripture is used to encourage pastors to keep at it. I don't know if you know this, but ministry is hard. There are many days and seasons where most pastors want to throw in the towel because sheep, the fold of God, sheep, we, we bite one another. We're not pleasant all the time. Maybe you are. I'm not. Um, we're not pleasant all the time. There are a lot of days where pastors want to throw in the towel. Timothy is in Ephesus. Do you remember why he's sent there in 1 Timothy? To guard them from running into false doctrine that's taught by false teachers who are elders at the church. Can you imagine? You're not only like, you're fighting with the other pastors. You're like, why are you teaching these things that are not the gospel? 
so I imagine there are many days where Timothy has, he just wants to give up. And this wonderful note comes from Paul, his spiritual dad, because his earthly dad didn't love the Lord. And he says, hey, fan this in flame, buddy. And I think that's a great way to view this text. Yes and amen, but I want to add to it. Because when this letter would have been read by Timothy and in the church community, it would have been publicly read. So yes to Timothy, fan your flame. So those of you who are pastors on staff here, fan your flame. Yes and amen. Praise God. Let this be your verse. Maybe your life one, just cling on to it. Because uh, there are seasons that are hard. But what about for the rest of us? What about the other people that are in the room listening to this? This is the book of, uh, of, of 2 Timothy's read. And I would say for those of you, consider also how you can fan into flame the gifts God has given you. As Charles Spurgeon once said, nobody thinks they have any gifts given to them by God until, until they have somebody in their life that says, man, you don't have any gifts at all. You are giftless. And then to prove themselves, they say, no, I'm not. And they start looking like, well, I got this gift. I got that gift. He's like, sometimes that's what we need. He's like, because guess what? The Spirit has given all of us gifts to be able to use in the body to encourage one another and to build one another up. And so, so what gift has God given you that you need to fan into flame? So moms, what gifts do you have and how can they be fanned into flame? Dads, how can you create space for your wife to flourish in her giftings? And, and this is a great question. And this is kind of the question that we'll kind of end on. We have just a tiny little phrase, but... Dads, this is a question for you to ask your bride, maybe on the way home today. Write this down. Write this down. Honey, call her honey, because she's sweet. Honey, how can I create space for you to flourish in your relationship with God? And how can I encourage you to flourish in the gift that God has given you? Let that be what your conversation is on the way home. And if you're like, well, that's an awkward conversation to have on the way home. Well, I'm telling you right now, your wife is sitting right next to you and it's gonna be more awkward if you don't ask her because I told you to ask her, right? Men, we do awkward things and we just roll with it. You know, asking her out on that date for that first time, awkward. Asking her father's hand in marriage, awkward. Asking her to marry you, scary, scary. I knew Samantha would say yes, still, scary. Right? My palms are sweating. I've asked her like 18 million times as joking. Hey, you want to marry me? Yes, quit asking me, unless you're actually going to ask me. Um, finally, when I did, I'm like, hey, here we go. I'm nervous. Why? I know what the answer is. We had already bought a dress and secured where we were going to get married at. I'm still nervous. Why? Because it's nervous being a guy asking questions. Don't shrink back from it. Enter into that space. Guard your wives. Create an atmosphere in your home where she can flourish in the gifting God has given her and the calling that God has given her. So husbands, write that down on the way home. How can I create space for you to flourish in your relationship with God? And wives, if you're on the way home and it's that awkward tension, Silence in the car. Just let it be silent until he asks you that question. Just turn the radio. If he turns on the radio, just click it off. <laughs> Encourage him in his manliness. Encourage him to lead you well 
And men, do it. So take the initiative and ask this question and follow through in helping serve your wife on a regular basis so that she can be all that God has called her to be. More than anything, as we wrap up our time together, I want the main thing that every mom hears today to be this. Remember that one day, one day, sisters, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But it will not be because you read the Bible every day. It will not be because you prayed every day with your kids. It will not be because your family does family worship every night together. It will not be because you fanned your gift into flame. It will not be because you changed lots of diapers really well. It will not be because you worked really hard at your jobs. It will not be because you served at church, went on mission trips, gave money. No, you will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because of what you have done. You will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because of what Jesus has done. He has been good. He has been faithful. He covers you with his righteousness. And he sends God the Spirit to empower you into fruitfulness. To set you free to fan your flame. To lay that tender by spending time in God's word and living out your faith so your family can see and know and taste that the Lord is good way before the Spirit gives them life. All right, let's pray. song inside